Daily Drive is brought to you by Reynolds & Reynolds, the industry leader in automotive technology. Find out what Reynolds is up to in the digital retailing space by visiting reyrey.com slash retail anywhere. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y dot com slash retail anywhere. Hi, everyone. This is Steve Smith with Automotive News. Welcome to Daily Drive for Wednesday, June 16th. Rima, Assam, Ali, Isabella, Giselle, and Katie. They are among the more than 10,000 people in America who, according to NHTSA, die every single year as a result of drunk driving. Incidents that NHTSA describes as preventable, but what loved ones left behind, like Rima's sister, Rena Abbas-Taylor, and Katie's father, Ken Snyder, describe as tragically unnecessary. Rena and Ken are part of the effort that Mothers Against Drunk Driving, or MAD, is making in Washington urging congressional leaders to pass legislation mandating automakers make standard in new vehicles technologies that exist today that MAD believes can all but eliminate drunk driving in the United States. Currently, two bills are making their way through the legislative process. The Ride Act is making its way through the Senate, provisions of which are included in transportation and infrastructure legislation the Senate Commerce, Science, and Transportation Committee is scheduled to debate and mark up this week. In the House, MAD is hopeful provisions of the Honoring a Boss Family Legacy to Terminate Drunk Driving, or HALT Act, named in honor of Rima, Assam, and their three young children, is included in the Motor Vehicle Safety Section of the Energy and Commerce Committee's Transportation Bill. MAD has bipartisan support from legislators including Michigan's Debbie Dingell, Florida's Rick Scott, and New Mexico Senator Ben Ray Luan, himself a survivor of a drunk driving incident. The organization also has support from the beverage industry and the insurance industry, but Rena and Ken say the automotive industry has fallen short in making standard, proactive technologies that can reduce and altogether prevent incidents related to drunk driving. Their hope is that the Ride and Halt Acts help change that. For Rena and Ken, and thousands of people across the United States, this is a deeply personal matter. They cope with their own loss through reminders as news of more incidents dot headlines every day and through frustration in believing there are solutions available that can help save lives. Here's part one of my conversation with Rena Abbas-Taylor and Ken Snyder. Rana and Ken, thank you so much for joining me today on the Daily Drive podcast. How are you? Good. How are you, Steve? Doing wonderful. It's good to speak with you both. I think we have a very important and meaningful topic today um, that is that is absolutely personal to both of you. So why don't we start with Rana, and you can, but Rana, maybe let's start with you. Would you mind sharing a little bit with our audience why stopping drunk driving is so personal to you? Absolutely. Um, so a little over two and a half years ago, um, I lost nearly my entire family um, to uh, a drunk driver um, who hit them going the wrong way um, on I-75 in Lexington, Kentucky, as they were driving back home um, from vacation in Florida. Um, That was um, single-handedly a day that um, just um, changed the entire course of all of our lives here. Rima um, 
was my um, sister. We were only 11 months apart and only sibling. Um, her husband, Isam, was like a brother to me. They were married actually for seven, 17 years at the time um, that they um, were in the crash. And their three children, my nieces and nephew, um, Ali, who we called AJ, who was only 13 at the time, Isabella, who was 12, and uh, my youngest niece, Giselle, who was seven. Um, Brima was um, a physician uh, and very dedicated um, to healing. Uh, she worked for Beaumont Health here in Michigan um, and oversaw um, a team of nearly 200 physicians in the area um, in Isam. Um, had a legal background um, and was also a real estate agent. But um, I can tell you that um, no matter what I share about um, my family, it is um, it doesn't do justice to the amazing individuals um, they all were. Um, and there remain, I say this all the time, um, there remain very few words um, that allow me to articulate the magnitude of this tragedy still. Um, they were our entire lives. Um, it is surreal to think that nothing about our family makeup um, or our lives looks the same or ever will. Um, and it's still something that we are working through and trying to cope with. I am so sorry for your loss and I don't think very many people can imagine that that tragedy who have not experienced it themselves. Ken, tell us about your daughter and and what happened. So I, I'm involved in this ad advocacy process because of my daughter. Uh, my daughter's name is Katie. Uh, Katie was uh, had four children and all of them were boys and she kept wanting a girl which is why I think she kept trying to have more babies and finally she decided to have go one more try and got more than she bargained for because she ended up with twin girls um, she had a problem pregnancy and uh, they had to do an emergency c-section and the babies were born when they were uh, 25 weeks uh, in, along uh, one was one pound four ounces the other was one pound seven ounces and she was living in California uh, in a city called Santa Clarita and the babies were born at, at UCLA Medical Center and were placed into the NICU there and Katie after she got released from the hospital after the emergency c-section she traveled down to the hospital every day to to be with the girls and uh, about seven weeks after the girls were born she was driving back home one night she was about a mile from home driving northbound on a uh, city boulevard when a drunk driver driving the opposite direction um, lost control of her car hit a barricade on the right side of the road veered across three lanes of traffic uh, hit the center median launched into the air and came down and crushed the car that katie was driving killing her instantly um, the, the family was devastated. Um, my wife and I spent most of the next three months living with the family, trying to get things stabilized and, and take care of the kids. And my wife went daily to the hospital in Katie's place and, and so on. 
Um, there's there's two parts to my story though, and the the first part is is the family tragedy, which I don't want anybody else to have to go through that kind of thing. And I as I've gotten involved with Matt, I hear stories like Rena's and and dozens and dozens of others that I've heard now over the last couple of years, and and everyone just breaks my heart. It's and and it breaks my heart. And let me tell the second part of my story, and 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 partly why why me? Why am I involved in this as opposed to maybe someone else? Um, I I'm on the faculty at Utah State University. I run an executive education program called the Shingo Institute. Uh, we administer the Shingo Prize. We have a model of training that many organizations around the world use. Uh, a couple of the auto companies use it, um, but more importantly, the auto electronics industry to a large degree uses it. It comes from the teachings of a Japanese consultant who was hired by Toyota to um, help them develop what was commonly called the Toyota production system. And he, his name was Shigeo Shingo. He wrote one of the definitive books about the Toyota production system. And he also uh, invented many of the terms that are used within the the lean manufacturing world. Uh, words such as SMED or Pokioke or uh, One Piece Flow, which which Shingo called non-stock production. But but he be, he's fairly well known throughout the auto industry, and and he's had a big impact. And and we invited him to. Uh, get an honorary doctorate in 1988 at our university and then started the Shingo Prize with his permission at that time. So it's been around for over 30 years. Our model is used by five of the top six tier one auto electronic suppliers. Um, it's, it's become kind of the benchmark standard for how to train people on operational excellence throughout the automotive parts industry, if you will. These are the executives in, in particularly the auto electronics world are my friends. These are people I've known for years. These are people that I can call up any time and ask them about it. These are people who knew about our family tragedy. And I couldn't, as I was working through the issues with the family, I couldn't help but, but think there's got to be a technology that can prevent this sort of thing from happening. So after we got the family stabilized, I started calling my friends in the in the electronics industry and asking them. And and to a person, the conversations went something like this. And to a person, they agreed wholeheartedly on on the essence of what I'm about to share with you. I would call them up. I would say something along the lines of, you know, about our situation and with our family, and they'd always express their sympathy. I would say, with all those great technologies, with self-driving cars and those safety systems and everything else you've been showing me the last couple of years, isn't there a way to use technology to prevent drunk driving? And to a person, they said yes. We have the technology to be able to significantly reduce or perhaps even permanently eliminate drunk driving. And I, so then I said, well, why isn't it on cars? And, and they said, well, it, it could be on cars, and actually some of the technologies that are on cars can be used, but they're not. the automakers are not choosing to use the technology in this way, and that, which started a process over several months of them educating me about the different technologies, how the different technologies work, how those different technologies could be used to prevent drunk driving crashes and drunk driving deaths. So after getting educated a bit on, on that, and I've been educated a little bit more by, by my friends, but after, after getting educated on that, I called up Matt and said, I got access to this 
insider information. Incidentally, I should say all the, all of these people shared this information confidentially, um, and and because they don't want to get their company in trouble with their customers, and so they shared it with me uh, and educated me. So now that I can talk about it in a in a an informed way, and and describe some of the potential of some of the technologies, but I it's not something that I know personally. It's something I've been taught by by those who know, but who are not in a position to speak out publicly because of their the pressure from their customers. So for so you, it is it is as much personal, and again, uh, condolences for, for your loss and loss of, of Katie. I do hope that Jacob and Hannah and Sarah and Nathaniel and Spencer and Travis and Gideon are coping as well as can be possible through that tragic loss. So for you, it's not only personal, but there's also a professional piece to this as your understanding grows. And, and I would say that perhaps a professional advocacy if you will to to be a voice of of this given your understanding of these technologies and what you're learning is that you know, fair? I, 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 steve i feel like that if i don't do something I'm, I'm in a unique position because i have access mm -hmm. and i'm it's doubtful that anybody in who's ever lived or who lives now knows as many people in the auto electronics world as i know and then to ask them about this and learn all the things I've learned about it and then do nothing about it, then shame on me for not acting when I could have acted and made a difference and saved lives. Absolutely. And, and so I, I, I feel strongly motivated and I'd, I'd feel terribly guilty on the one hand if I didn't and strongly motivated to do something about this because something has to be done. Rana. Can you give our listeners a progress report on the fight against drunk driving? How are the numbers of drunk driving incidents per year trending? Are we doing better? Are we doing worse? Uh, thanks, Steve. Um, actually, um, unfortunately, they are a lot worse. Um, in fact, the Department of Transportation just recently released preliminary data that um, actually show that drunk driving deaths have increased by 9% just this last year. And as you know, we are in the midst of a pandemic. 2020, we were very deep in a pandemic. Um, so while vehicle miles traveled, this report shows, dropped by over 430 billion during the pandemic, fatal traffic accidents increased significantly. I read this report just this past week. I am beside myself reading through these numbers, it almost feels like at this point, we have reached ahead. Just getting in your car to make a short trip is like playing Russian roulette with your life. I'm sure you heard, Steve, just yesterday, there was a wrong way uh, accident on I-94 by a drunk driver here in Michigan. Um, in fact, just this past Saturday, there was another horrific um, traffic accident in Lexington, Kentucky, that is nearly identical to my family's traffic accident. In fact, it happened on I-75 as well. It happened only five miles from my family's crash. It involved six people who are now dead, including a family of five, a mother and four of her children. And while 
We have yet to hear anything about whether or not the driver in that crash is intoxicated. We know that nine out of ten of wrong uh, nine out of ten wrongway drive crashes are because of some type of impaired driving. So as you not only read the numbers, hear the statistics, but on a daily basis are hearing of these horrific fatal crashes, you can't help but wonder when is enough enough? When are we going to realize that vehicles can be used as weapons? And just like any deadly weapon, we have a responsibility to build safety precautions around these weapons. And that is what Ken and I are committed to doing. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back with more. As online experiences exploded this past year, it was clear dealers needed an approach that kept them in business for the long term. Chris Walsh, Casey Edwards, and Dave Bates, Top Reynolds executives, sat down to discuss today's digital retailing landscape. Here's an excerpt from that roundtable discussion. So what are dealers trying to do to get this fully online and online to in-store experience? That's a great question. And honestly, it's it's kind of a hard one to answer because retailers are kind of defining and using digital retailing differently. You know, to some dealers, it's selling a car. To other, it's sales and F&I. And they, they tend to be approaching it in chunks versus, you know, kind of a holistic, holistic approach. And then you end up just focusing on one or two things when you need to focus on, you know, more of a big picture. Digital retailing is dealership operations, period. Reynolds' Retail Anywhere approach focuses on streamlining dealership operations and improving profitability. For more information about this big-picture, holistic approach, visit reyrey.com slash retailanywhere. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y dot com slash retailanywhere. I have to imagine that the stories you just described in these recent incidents have to be not only frustrating, but in some ways maybe insulting that these technologies and, and, and there are ways to prevent this. I can't imagine what it feels like to read these types of stories day in and day out. Yeah, I can I can tell you, Steve, um, you know, Ken um, provided a little background information about um, his sense of responsibility. I can tell you, um, as far as my sense, um, I've I've actually, I'm a career advocate. I've been in advocacy my entire career. So you can imagine um, for somebody who has um, spent such a huge portion of my life um, advocating on behalf of issues that impact the lives um, of Americans, what it must have felt like um, to be in D.C., um, about nine months after my family's crash, meeting with MAD, and to hear the data and information that Ken had shared with MAD about the technology that is available. I, at the moment, and this was only keep in mind nine months after my world imploded. Um, and at that point, if I can be completely frank, there was little I cared about because, and it's still hard to talk about without getting emotional. I felt that I had little left to care for. Um, And I remember going over this data um, with MAD's chief of government affairs, Stephanie Manning. And she, I will never forget, I, I, her words ring in my ears to this day when she said to me that 
we have the ability to end drunk driving. And it is my family's crash that is going to help us get that done. As an advocate, I could not walk away from that. But also as an advocate, I couldn't reconcile how, how are you telling me that we have the technology available to prevent, not just decrease, I want to be clear here, to prevent these types of crashes. And we are choosing not to include this technology in cars. The fact that that was a possibility before my family's crash is something that I live with every single day. Yeah, I can imagine um, uh, that that how much that how much how that must feel uh, to knowing that that the the solution possible solutions were there and and not you know in your role as an advocate not not advocating that uh, throughout your your professional career I can I can absolutely empathize to how that must feel. Can I inter- can I interject? So. We've been running for about the last 10 or more years you know, through if if we go back to when MAD started in 1980-ish, um, there was about 24, 25,000 people a year that were being killed due to drunk driving. And that through MAD's efforts for better enforcement, don't drink and drive education and and uh, better uh, better legal standards such as the 0.08 standard and so on that that was reduced over the next couple of decades from the 24 25,000 a year to between 10 and 11,000 deaths a year which is great that that, that many lives were saved but 10,000 deaths a year is not an is not acceptable if, if we put this in terms of something like airplane crashes and just say 150 people died in each airplane crash it would be 67 airplane crashes a year and and what if we had 67, we, we had two Boeing jets crash in a couple of years, a few years ago, and it shut down a whole company and a whole production line and and canceled billions and billions of orders and nobody wanted to ride a 737 MAX, right? But we don't have that same sense of urgency about the 10,000. And now with what we've seen from NHTSA, we've had an uptick of 9% or over another 1,000 people. So we're now over 11,000. They didn't release the number in NHTSA's report, but they said a 9% increase in the base number was in the 10,000. So it's over 11,000 deaths last year due to, to drunk driving. This is just unacceptable. Mm-hmm. Senseless, frankly. And frankly, Steve, you know, Ken and I do, you know, what we hear um, when we hear that it's not time or when we hear we're not ready, the tech isn't ready, which we know is not the case. We that all we hear is more people need to die senselessly before we can do this. And that is not okay. No, not okay. Yeah, I don't think you're going to find any disagreement uh, with that point of view. So let's turn the attention to the work that you both are involved with and that MAD is spearheading relative to legislation to help mandate these technologies be made available in new vehicles. There are two bills, the HALT Act and the RIDE Act. If I'm understanding, the HALT Act actually is a namesake with your family. Is that correct? 
Yes, uh, it is, Steve. Um, Congresswoman Debbie Dingell attended the funeral services of my family, as did um, most of the Michigan delegation, congressional delegation. Um, and her and I um, go back a bit. We've worked uh, together over the years on a number of issues uh, relevant to the causes that we care about. And during the funeral services, Congresswoman Dingell was approached by a classmate of AJ and Izzy's who asked her a simple question. Um, they asked, how can this happen? Can't we put a stop to it? And that really struck a chord um, with the Congresswoman who um, really felt this strong sense of responsibility. This was personal for her as well. And I'm so grateful that um, she took the lead on introducing legislation, yes, named um, in my family's honor. Um, HALT stands for Honoring the Abbas Legacy to Terminate Drunk Driving. Um, and, you know, it was soon after she introduced the legislation that MED met with her and started work working closely with her office. And it was shortly after that um, that I joined um, this effort. Uh, and, you know, uh, with the Ride Act as well, um, that is kind of a bit like a like the Senate Companion Bill um, for the Hall Act. And these are I have to I have to reiterate, this is tech neutral legislation. And what that means is, and Ken is much better at being able to describe this, but what this means is we are asking for a mandate. We don't care what technology out of the over 240 technologies that we know are available is used. We are just saying we need a mandate. Whatever it is, we that doesn't matter. We just are asking for a federal mandate that can help us end drunk driving. So Ken, can you elaborate on technology neutral um, and share with our audience what that means and um, Offer your and and also describe how the Halt Act and the Ride Act are working to curb drunk driving. So yes, I would love to answer that question. So NHTSA actually put out a request for information on RFI at the towards the end of last year, to which we uh, combined all the research we had accumulated over the last few years and put it into that. And we, as as Rana uh, suggested, we found over 240 different technology. Uh, offerings by people in the industry or that the car makers or the auto electronic suppliers had announced that could be used to stop drunk driving. And I'm, I'm going to combine those 240 plus technologies into th three basic categories for, for ease of explanation. There is there one, the first one is what is most common uh, on cars today, and that is something like a level two ADAS system. Uh, this is the lane assist, emergency braking, uh, blind spot detection, uh, self-parking. Um, those are all features of the, in essence, the same system. These are sensors that are on, cameras and sensors that are on the outside of the vehicle, and they sense where the vehicle is. Now those, just to give you an example of how that technology could be applied to stop drunk driving, the car knows if you cross a lane or if you're crossing a lane and you're drifting, it pushes you back in. But if you cross that lane and you force it to do something that the car doesn't think you should be doing, especially if you do it in front of a car that's in your blind spot, right? It, the car knows that. It's, it senses both the blind spot. It senses both the lane change. It senses you didn't turn your signal on and so on. The car also knows if you drive off the road. So 
what some of the car makers have actually done is programmed that level two ADAS system to detect erratic driving, which could imply impaired driving. Almost every story I've heard from, from MAD uh, advocates, and, as I, and I've heard dozens and dozens, I have not yet heard a story where the, the drunk driver was not driving erratically, meaning speeding, crossing lanes, in uncontrolled, like in the case of my daughter Katie, sideswiped a car, almost hit a car, hit a barricade, veered across three lanes and hit the center median. The car knew, should have known or could have known that that vehicle was being driven recklessly and erratically. And what the car can be programmed to do is pull over to the side of the road and turn on the emergency flashers and shut down and not allow the driver to drive. So even and, and these level two ADAS systems are on most new cars sold in North America or in the you know the developed world today. So this is technology that could be programmed with just you know computer code one time and could be put on into effect on vehicles today. It's not something we have to wait five years for or ten years for or or, or whatever. It can be used and could prevent the vast majority of drunk driving deaths. So that's category one. Category two of, of the technologies, and I'll, I'll this once again taking a bunch of different technologies, but the, in grouping them together, we'll call that driver monitoring technology as opposed to driving performance monitoring, which the, the ADAS system does. Driver monitoring are cameras that are inside the car or sensors that are inside the car that focus on the condition of the driver. Um, they can not only can they look at the eyes and see whether the eyes are such that they are not focusing, they're dilated, they're not looking at things that are relevant that the car can see, but their eyes aren't looking at towards seeing. They can tell if a driver's impaired. They can also tell if the driver's texting. They can also tell if the driver's falling asleep. So this is especially a technology that not only can detect drunk uh, and you know, drug-impaired driving, but can also detect other impairments such as drowsiness or distraction. And these technologies can be combined with the exterior sensors in the, the typical ADAS system. And But together, they're even more powerful, but either one separately could be effective in eliminating a large percent of, of drunk driving deaths. The third category is alcohol detection technology. Now, this is similar to the interlock, but but in order to be something that's that's uh, possible for a mandate, it needs to be passive. In the sense, passive means that the the driver doesn't have to do anything extra just to drive the car. They don't have to blow into a tube, such as an interlock system would would require. Uh, this is similar. The the federal government's been working for many years uh, in a program that's that's housed in NHTSA called the DADS program. Uh, DADSS um, to to develop this kind of technology. I've seen tech, the industry solution to this technology, and the industry solutions are far more advanced than what uh, is available through DADS right now. But we we are once again tech neutral and supplier neutral. Any one of these three technologies could address a large percent of the drunk driving deaths and when combined uh, we believe that they could almost perfectly eliminate drunk driving deaths or as one of the the, the safety executives that for one of the auto electronics uh, suppliers said to me once and when i was talking to her she said driving can be the safest mode of transportation if we only use the technology we have available to us
That's Daily Drive for Wednesday, June 16th. For breaking news, go to autonews.com. And to catch up on all of our episodes of Daily Drive, go to autonews.com forward slash Daily Drive. Thanks for listening. We'll be back tomorrow with the conclusion of my discussion with Mads Rena Abbas-Taylor and Ken Snyder.